You're sitting on 2,000 horsepower of nitro-boosted war machine. I'd say you got about a five-minute head start. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes, it's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. the Mad Max Minute. We're not leaving without Mad Max Fury Road. One minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 41, which begins with Furiosa refusing to abandon the wives, and it ends with Max giving in and opening the door. So here at the middle of the week, Furiosa has been told that she is allowed to come along, and Max turns his face away from the window because as far as he is concerned, negotiations are over. Furiosa fires back with a counteroffer, or rather a demand, an addendum to what Max has offered, and she says, not without them, meaning the wives. Oh, Max, seriously, he's so childish and petulant here. I love the look that he gives her Yeah. he swings back to the window, and he's like, um, what did you say? Are you kidding? I'm the one in the war rig now. Look at me. I'm the war rig driver now. (laughs) And then he says, then we'll wait. I have to keep reminding myself that Max was there for the info dump that the Blood Bank Warboy gave to Nux. Max is fully aware of the situation. Maybe not what everything means related to the situation, but he knows that Furiosa is the one that stole the wives. The wives are the thing that Joe is after. And while I'm sure Joe is going to be upset about the loss of his war rig and that he isn't able to capture Furiosa. Maybe Max was thinking, all right, fine, person who made the Warlord angry, I'll take you along because I need to, but I'm not taking the five people that he's specifically chasing us for. It's a huge risk, and leaving them behind would kind of solve all of his problems. Leaving them in the desert, there's a decent chance that... Joe would drive up in the gigahorse with the war party, scoop them up, everybody heads back to the Citadel. Do you think there's a good chance that would happen? I mean, if I'm Max and I'm trying to think of what would Immortan Joe do, which would be a very odd bracelet to wear if you weren't a war boy, but I digress. (laughs) You could think, okay, this person stole. If we leave behind the thing that was stolen... Perhaps the pursuit will end, but Joe is exactly the kind of person who would take the wives back in the Gigahorse and send the rest of his war party after the war rig to bring Furiosa back. At which point, Max would probably try to kick her out of the war rig. Once it was started up with the starting sequence, and he was able to figure it out, he would get rid of her first chance he got, and then it would just be him in the war rig, getting as far away from these people as he could. And then, frankly, it's only a matter of time before he has to dump the war rig. Mm -hmm. Because once it turns off, he wouldn't know how to turn it back on. Yeah, and you can't exactly leave something that big constantly running forever. Sure, he's got 3,000 gallons of guzzoline in that fuel pod. But I've never seen a situation outside of stock car racing where fueling up while the engine is still running is ever an easy thing to do. Mm -hmm. And even in stock car racing with those guys with the giant gas cans that are held up 
above their heads with the long nozzles that go down. That doesn't look easy. Those things look heavy and cumbersome, and you're jumping over barriers and trying to avoid other people in the crew, and it's just... The whole situation is not ideal. But then again, Max rarely finds himself in ideal situations. And driving the rig makes him a magnet mm-hmm. for all sorts of things, not just Joe. It makes him a magnet for the rock riders that we're going to meet down the road, although Max wouldn't voluntarily go in there and meet the rock riders. So yeah. Max isn't a fan of canyons for some reason. No. Hmm. <laughs> But anybody that Max happens to meet on the road is going to be like, ooh, I like that. I want that. Yeah. I'm going to take it from you. When you're the biggest dog in the yard, all of the other nippers are going to want to try and take a piece out of you. Mm-hmm. And as we cut into the wide shot between Max, Furiosa, and the wives, I love that we have this little ticking clock in the center of the frame, right around second seven of the approaching war party. And I love that we went through all of that trouble. We went through buzzard territory. We went through a toxic storm. And yet, here they still are, persisting in the pursuit of Furiosa and the war rig. Furiosa and the wives are very determined. This is life and death for them. They are going to keep pushing forward in whichever way they can, no matter what. So it's no wonder that they have made it this far. But so has Joe. And that is disheartening. Mm -hmm. That no matter how hard they've worked and what they have sacrificed, Joe is still right there. Mm. And it really is a testament to the brilliance of having tall vehicles in the war party, like the doof wagon, like the giga horse, because they stand out in amongst that assortment of specks on the horizon. Yeah. They are the most prominent specks. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if it's on purpose or it just kind of happens naturally, but the way that it presents on screen is like almost like a, a tent top. Like it comes in low and then it peaks in the middle. Yeah. And I mean, well, the composition of this scene is, of course, perfect and beautiful. And then you've got this little tiny element just on the horizon that draws your eye because of the way it's shaped. And of course, also because of the sounds coming from it. It really just adds to the composition. Mm-hmm. And so Max leans out the window looks back at the approaching war party, and he says, so we wait. Hmm. You think he was bluffing? Because this just seems like a dumb thing to do. And childish. Immature. Petulant. Petulant. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So do you think he was bluffing? No, I think he was trying to force Furiosa's hand. He wanted something out of the agreement, and he was unaware of exactly how attached Furiosa is to these wives. He figured that any sort of wastelander that he came across would look at the situation and be like, okay, I can stay behind with these five other people, or I can get myself out. And he would think that a wastelander would say, well, yeah, get me out. Forget them. It's everyone for themselves. Which is an interesting point of view to come from Max, because we've seen him do the opposite twice now in Road Warrior and Thunderdome, he has come across a group of people who need him. And both times, for different reasons, in the end, he helped them. Once because it was a bargain that he made, and once because he felt compelled to. So when presented with this again, maybe he's taking that lesson to heart. Like, if you don't want to get involved with a group of people, back off hard and fast. Mm -hmm. So that's what he's doing. He is pulling away before 
he ever really gets to know what the deal is and how they feel about it. Like, nope, I don't want to know. I don't want to get involved. I just want to drive away. It's interesting that you bring up Thunderdome because when you look at Furiosa and what she's doing for the wives, does it feel a little bit like what Max was doing for the waiting ones? Because that's what it sounded to me like you were saying. You mean trying to rescue them? Yeah. Taking people that are in a situation where they're at a disadvantage and putting yourself out there and going through trouble in order to put them into a better situation. I think so. I think their motivations are vastly different. I look at the different characters we've got involved in this little stage play, and if you replace Max with Jedediah the pilot, replace Furiosa with Max and the wives with the waiting ones, it's the scene from Crocodile Harry's Underground Nest all over again, where Furiosa is running with the wives and they come across Max sitting on the bed and they're like, you, it's your lucky day. You've got a plane. And Max would say, oh, I do? And then you know, the plane would start up and then everybody runs outside to get in the air truck. Except in this situation, Max is not as immediately agreeable as Jedediah. But both of them are forced to acquiesce. Coerced in some way. Yes. Although... In this instance, as we're going to see this minute, Max does make the decision of his own free will. Furiosa offers him something and he takes her up on it. But we'll get to that at the yeah, end of the Yeah, I think there's a fine line between coercion and free will. <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. With Max laying down, okay, we wait, Furiosa and the wives look at the approaching war party and then... Furiosa decides that the rest of this conversation needs to take place away from the wives. And so she climbs up on the side of the war rig and she gets right in the window and she explains to Max that Immortan Joe is not the kind of guy who freely gives rewards like Nux said. Nux had a certain skewed view of Immortan Joe. Mm, yes, very much so. If he's expecting any sort of reward like a building full of jackets or the return of his interceptor or anything like that it's not going to happen he's relying on the gratitude of a very bad man oh max he came upon this group of people and he has no earthly idea what's going on which is fine that's just how it goes but he's trying to navigate in this world that he doesn't understand yes he has some basic facts about the situation these are the wives. Joe wants them back unharmed. You know, he knows the basics, but that is so surface level. <laughs> There's so much going on here that if he wants to make educated strategic decisions, he probably should know about. Well, I don't want to wax too philosophical about it, but aren't we all just kind of stumbling through life <laughs> on half information, trying to make the most of it? Max is doing the classic tactic of fake it till you make it. Touché. I would definitely have to agree with you there. <laughs> and We're all just faking it. And Furiosa adds the colored commentary of, you've already damaged one of his wives. How grateful do you think he's going to be? And I call back to that blood bank scene where the war boy said, he, meaning Joe, wants them back, not a hand laid on them. Yes, Max has stopped Furiosa and the wives in their track. He is holding the war rig hostage, but it's still him who grazed Ang Herod with that bullet. Not intentionally. Um, well, that certainly doesn't matter. But you're absolutely right. Joe would see it as a punishable offense. Yes. 
And that would probably land him right back in the blood bank. If he gets to survive at all. I think the only thing that would keep him from a death penalty is his blood. Hmm. His blood is precious. It's needed. So the organic mechanic, if he's ballsy enough, would probably step in and say, can (laughs) we not? Don't waste him. He's a good resource. (laughs) We really need him. (laughs) That angle doesn't seem to do much. We cut away from... Max and Furiosa to see the wives taking a few steps closer. They're eager to get going for obvious reason. And Furiosa continues with what is arguably my favorite part of this minute, where she says, you're sitting on 2,000 horsepower of nitro-boosted war machine. I say you've got about a five-minute head start, and it immediately makes me think of the Blues Brothers, which you know I'm going to throw in as the opening audio stinger to this episode. Oh, of course. Yeah. You've got a five-minute head start. We've got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark and we're wearing sunglasses. (laughs) I think this statement is meant as exposition. Mm -hmm. It teaches us something about the rig that helps us gain a bit of context for the adventures to come. So being able to communicate the specs of the truck to us in this manner, I think, is well done. I also see it as Furiosa offering up a second thing. Like, first and foremost, she said, if you stick around, you're going to be punished just as much as the rest of us. And she's following that up by saying, you're sitting on a very impressive piece of equipment. We can do this. We can get away because we have a five-minute head start. We can escape. This is doable. Mm -hmm. There is no reason to sit here for five minutes and wait for Joe. We can do this. All you gotta do is let the wives in the car. (laughs) Just stop being stubborn for one minute and just get with the program. (laughs) And as good an argument as that is, it doesn't work. No. Max sits there, and I gotta admit, he does glance over at Furiosa. His eyes flick over to look at her as if she's wearing down that armor, as if he's starting to soften on the idea But no, he keeps his face straight ahead. He doesn't want to give away that she might be bringing up some good points. Yep. And finally, after explaining that he will be punished and that they can escape, the last thing she can pull out of her pocket to help convince Max to let them all get in the rig, she simply says in a slightly raised tone, you want that thing off your face? Yeah, her tonal change and her volume change here. Love it. Because before, she was kind of whispering to him. She was speaking low. She was speaking just with him. It wasn't really meant for the wives. I don't think it was any secret information. She was just talking straight to him. And now her frustration level has risen. Yes, they do have a five-minute head start, but that is ticking down every second. They no longer have a five-minute head start. They now have a four-minute and 45-second head start. So she drops that negotiating tactic of talking just privately with him and really has a thing that's going to seal the deal but it is delivered with some emotion yeah what she's done is she's found that one what we call in the selling business a pain point it is the one thing that max cannot live without if he keeps that muzzle on his face drinking is going to be difficult eating is going to be difficult living in general is going to be difficult until he can get that thing off of his face and so If she is willing to help him get it off of his face, that is the one thing that causes Max to turn his head, reach over to the door handle, 
and finally just open the door for Furiosa. If Max never got that thing off his face, how do you think he would die? If Max was able to get away with the war rig and not get the muzzle off his face, I could see him finding a group of travelers and trying to get them to help him get the muzzle off and them either killing him and stealing the war rig or something to that effect. So you think he would die because he was already vulnerable and the wasteland is not willing to forgive that. Interesting. That's so not the way I thought you would go. I think the muzzle would mark him as someone who is dangerous and people would react accordingly. Wow. I'm surprised you went with something social. My guess, aside from starvation or dehydration, because those are kind of obvious, my thoughts on that are that he would die of infection because he is just begging for sores on his head or on his face. Those contact points are going to wear at his skin and he's going to get sores and those sores are going to get infected and that infection is going to kill him. Honestly, I don't think infection can kill anybody in this wasteland. (laughs) Because if infection was actually that deadly, we would have seen people dying of infection by now. Do you remember a while ago... I think it was on like sci-fi channel or something. They did this kind of what if simulation on the end of the world. Like it was done almost documentary style. Like we were following this family, like a husband, wife and a daughter. And it was some sort of, I can't remember why, but collapse of civilization, collapse of society type deal. And the dad during all of the chaos of things actually going wrong got a cut on his arm. Nothing bad, no big deal, really no big deal. But because he couldn't put any antibacterial stuff on it, he couldn't keep it clean, he couldn't wrap it properly, in the aftermath of trying to move on with their lives, it never healed and it got infected and he died. Mm. Oh gosh, I can't remember where that came from. I'm pretty sure it was on Sci-Fi Channel, something like that. Yeah, I have no idea what that is. Yeah, So I cannot help you identify it at all. (laughs) Okay. So with the door open and Furiosa pretty much hanging off the side of the war rig anyway, she is immediately at the door and Max trains his gun on her. And as he slides out of the driver's seat and over into the passenger seat, he keeps that gun pointed straight at her as she climbs in. I think Max hates this. I think he hates that he has to compromise. I think he hates that he has to hand over control and let somebody help him. Thinking back to other movies, Max is incredibly independent. And even when, say, in Road Warrior, yes, he had other people's help. He couldn't have done those things by himself. But he rejected the gyro captain at every turn. And any help that the compound dwellers gave him was bargained for. So yeah, he doesn't do this. He doesn't let somebody else drive. It's a vulnerability that Max is unaccustomed to that in this world is dangerous. I'm glad you brought that up because in the past, specifically in Road Warrior, when Max finds the gyro captain, he takes him captive and hijacks him so that they can use the gyrocopter to fly to the rig. And in that situation, Max was the one with all of the power. Yes. He was the one that was holding the gyro captain and dictating what the gyro captain did. 
in this situation, yes, Max has the gun, but he doesn't have all of the power, and I think that's what bothers him. Furiosa has the ability to make the war rig move. She has the ability to dictate where the war rig goes, and the fact that Max isn't controlling every aspect of this situation has got to have him frustrated, because Max is in single instinct survival mode which means that he needs to be in charge and in control at all times, which is difficult enough with him going through this slow burn psychotic breakdown that he's been dealing with. Mm, yes. And with good reason. We talk a lot about Road Warrior and Thunderdome because those are the movies with really the Max that we see now. Mm -hmm. We don't compare him to Max from 79 all that much, but... This all started, his personal journey started with him not having control over what was happening to other people in his life. Mm -hmm. And every time somebody died, when Goose died and when Jesse and Sprague died, Max wasn't there. He had no control to help to prevent bad things from happening. And I think from that stems this need to always be in the driver's seat to have power over other people. Because if he had been able to keep power over his enemies, the people he loved would still be alive. Mm, that's a good point. But that pretty much brings us to the end of this minute. Before we wrap, I want to call attention right at the 59 second mark, the one minute mark of this minute. We're looking at Furiosa climbing up into the rig and we're looking out the front window of the rig. And the desert... And the engine, everything outside of that window is incredibly washed out. And I gotta say, I kind of like it. I kind of like how everything that's clear and in focus is inside the rig. And everything that's outside all that desolation, it doesn't matter right now because we need to be focused inside. And I feel like they purposely obscured everything outside of that window so that way we wouldn't focus on it. It makes the set piece just the interior. Mm -hmm. This small space is what we're working with. And... The desert tends to like press in on you. It's so vast and deadly that when you're out there, that's the most important thing. It's like, oh no, I'm out in the middle of the desert. I need to not be out in the middle of the desert anymore. And that is their goal. But in this moment, when this exchange has happened, it's all about right here, right now. Kind of the same way that Furiosa was speaking low to Max. Mm -hmm. She wasn't speaking so that everybody could hear her. It wasn't about everybody. It was about the two of them. Yeah. And calling attention to another detail in this shot, the handle right next to Furiosa's face along the edge of the windshield. Yeah, it looks like a knife handle. I don't know if that's a knife handle. I'm wondering if it's a knife or if it's the file that she pulls out in the next minute. I'm going to have to try and pay attention to that. I'm going to say no because I know where she gets the file from. But we'll definitely keep talking about that. Okay. So come back on Friday because Furiosa and the wives are going to get in the war rig. Max is going to be given a file, which I don't know where it's coming from. I don't remember. <laughs> and once Max starts filing, we get to cut away and see Nux finally recover from that gut punch that knocked him flat out. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. 
Our home on the internet is madmaxminute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at madmaxminute, like us on Facebook by searching for madmaxminute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit madmaxminute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 41 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.